Hello, Inside Scoopers. Welcome to another edition. And I'm, I'm excited about this podcast. Gosh, your mic is off center. It always kills me when your mic is off center. You're like away on the other side of that. Well, let let always, me scoot it always, over. It always messes me hey, up. Hey, sorry about, we're in the middle of doing a bunch of things. So you're just seeing. Yes. Apologies for the mess behind yeah. Every time I'm preparing for a Facebook Live and is it the Inside Scoopers, you get the inside scoop on everything that's happening. So yes. we are actually preparing for a tighter Facebook Live. Keep that secret. The, my goal for the Facebook Live is to discern between anti-vaxxer, wise-vaxxer, vaxxer, and over-vaxxer. Yep. That's, that's a confusing subject right there, and people tend to have opinions. And, and all people yeah. also ch- people chuck you into a bucket yeah. without you being able to defend or explain yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And have fun trying to break that down in the human world because over-vaccinating isn't a thing in the human world. It's a dog world issue, right? Because you're not going in for the mumps to vaccinate once a year, every year. You know, as Dr. Ronald Schultz told me, Parvo would be like the human version of the mumps, let's say. I got one mumps vaccine, which protected me for life. But I did, I'm not going in every six months to my doctor and saying, hey, doc. I need a booster. Please give me the, please give me another shot for the mumps where this is happening in the animal space. So over-vaccinating then becomes a term. Anyways, So okay. here, you were busy this morning posting because you got a little fired up and rightfully so. Devastating headlines. Most of you have probably seen them. Corn makes the news again. And I just have to say this, that I find it interesting that raw food is attacked constantly about how it could be dangerous and lethal. But have you ever seen a raw food headline that said 70 dogs dead after consuming it? No, that has not happened. What does happen year after year are dogs that consume aflatoxins or some type of mycotoxin and die. This is a, These are devastating headlines. I can't tell you year after year after year after year, all the lectures I would go to where, you know, whatever pet food company was using corn, I would always just say to them the same thing. Are you not concerned? <clears throat> we have a history and I don't want to say yearly, because I was looking at some of the but records, it, it is almost but we know it's almost yearly it where it every year yeah. animals have to, and, and everybody sort of just turns the blind eye yeah. <clears throat> to the big giant elephant in the room. It made me post this morning. I don't know if you guys saw it. I was so upset. He, you were really on I was fire. really revved up. I was yeah. really upset. If you're new to these headlines, by the way, I should, you know, we should preface what's going on here. So just this year and early 2020, there has been recalls from a pet food company called, I think they're called Sport Mix or something like that from in the United States. Midwest <clears throat> Pet Foods is the name of the overall group. <clears throat> I'm all choked up this morning, sorry. And they had a recall and 28 dogs died. They put out the recall and then eventually the recall kept growing and then growing and then more lots. You can see my BFF Susan Thixton's uh, headline right there in the middle, more than a thousand lots. And, and, and now just- it's like anything. Any of our products with corn in it, don't touch it for the love of God. Yeah. 70 plus dogs dead over almost close to 100 so far that that we know of that are fatally ill. And I think that I just have to say this for every anytime you see a number like X number of dogs that are dead or sick, in my opinion, and I think all of the veterinarians watching would agree with this, the vast majority of these cases go unreported. So I take that number and in my brain, I multiply it times three. 
for the reality of people that either can't afford to go to their veterinarian, their dogs get suddenly sick and they don't correlate it to what they're feeding, or they go to the veterinarian and the veterinarians don't recognize that it could be a food contamination issue. But Dr. Lori Koger is like, I do love how we show the studies. Thank you, Dr. Lori. And yes, if you guys do want more studies, we always have the opportunity to run more studies, of course, on the screen. But that being said, to go back to these major headlines that are circulating all over the world, right? When corn is used, and we know why it's used, we know about the amino acids, we know about the protein, we know about the carbohydrates, the source of energy. We know that they're cheap. We know that it's super cheap, right? The problem here is you're using an ingredient that potentially has the possibility of like wiping out a series of dogs across the planet. Is it worth the risk? And those are the debates that I will get into the debate. You know, we talk about, hey, what about aflatoxins? Well, don't worry, we test for it. Midwest, I'm positive, will say, well, we thought the company that where we bought the corn yeah, from tested. They're in charge of screening. Of course, right. right? It's like, look at the largest and most prolific company who does testing of every single batch, according to that company, Hills Science Diet. We test every single can before it goes out of our door. And if you forget, less than two years ago, 13.5 million, million cans were missed and that was just the starting of it, and potentially thousands of deaths because of excess vitamin D. And that's a whole nother story. You want to talk, we talked about this this morning, yes. right? The two most lethal things that are wiping dogs out, here it is, like this is a history, I want to get this, and I'm sure that you inside scoopers probably can't see this because it's so bloody small, but there's the study on the top. Now this is just from 1996 to 2008. This was a study, and look, you can see the very first one, 1998, and I know there's more than that, aflatoxin, contamination. Then again, in 2005, Diamond Pet Foods, you know, big how Diamond is, Taste of the Wild, Chicken Soup, whatever products they, other products that they have private under label. their hood, private label. I know they also private label for Costco, Costco Foods. Look, they had- It's just one, it's vitamin D, mycotoxin, <clears throat> but then, vitamin D, mycotoxin. Absolutely. And the dead dogs never get, like, there's no- there's no justification. There there's there's no, there there's like these animals lose their lives and there's nobody there. Like, how do you think I started this? So why am I here? And, and all you people, you know, that are new to the group, where, how was I born? Yeah. Because I was so sick and tired. I, my cat got obliterated in front of me. My dog got obliterated in front of me. And everyone's like, well, oh, well, I'm in nowhere land. I'm in like the smallest province in the world. And I was like, do I have yeah. to do something about this? Right. So which. You're kind look, of like Aaron. You're the Aaron Brockovich <laughs> of pet food. <laughs> But look look at the little circle under us there, right? So 76 dogs dead, 23. That was all that they could. There was no internet. Like there's no Facebook back then. Like, there, was, there wasn't a way for people to file that their dogs died. We exactly. don't know how many dogs died. Yeah. But it's always the same thing. The recall will outweigh the deaths, right? Because yeah. it's, it's about, oh my God, we got to bring back as many bags. What I like now, you're seeing headlines like the New York Times. Now they'll put the, the, the amount of dead because now dogs have become more important then the bags that have to be recalled, the dead dogs. The numbers are still grossly underestimated. At Across the board, the numbers are still grossly underestimated. So we go back to the premise of, Rodney's post this morning was, is corn worth the risk having it be included in pet food? And knowing that so many people have to feed kibble and that kibble's divided into the grain-free category and the grain-based category. So if it's grain-free, the risk of aflatoxin is a lot lower because it seems like aflatoxin is the one that's taken out everybody, Aflatoxins right? grow on grains. But look at yesterday's recall. So I posted about yesterday's recall. I don't know if you guys saw it. 
I only posted it on my on the Planet Pause page. The vitamin D issue right now. It, how ironic! How ironic! It just shows you how global headlines can work. Literally, literally, on January the fourteenth, Pedigree was nominated and honored in India, which is like the second largest boom right now Massive globally in the world for market. animals. And guess what? The number one most trusted brand in India was Pedigree. Now, Pedigree is also the number one selling food in America. It's also the number one selling food in Canada. It's also like 10 bucks a bag. So I get it. You have no money, right? It's It has a popularity base behind it. It's made by Mars, the also the makers of Royal Canin, the vet line of food. But as big as those headlines were, and they were pumping out those headlines. Now, conspiracy theorists will say they were pumping out those headlines because they already had whiff that there was going to be a recall the following day. So crush, crush the headlines by yeah. posting that it's the most trusted brand in the yeah. world. Ramp it up. Ramp it up. Get smashed down. Put it out first. So yeah. when you Google search pedigree, that will be show at the very top, right? It's, it's preemptive damage control. Literally 24, not even 24, 16 hours later, big recall coming out of the United Kingdom because they have excess, of, excess levels of vitamin D, which is the second biggest most takeout in the loss of dogs, which science diet was vitamin D. It's always, it's always either aflatoxins, Mycotoxins. right? Or it's like, it's vitamin D. Look, look at the chart here in the history if you can't see it. Yeah. Number one, aflatoxins. Number two, excess vitamin D. All right, excess methionine, aflatoxins, excess vitamin D. And as you keep going, you'll see a pattern between salmonella, aflatoxins, and vitamin D. Salmonella is not killing anything as severely as aflatoxins and vitamin D is. So yesterday's post that came out by pedigree was we have excess levels of vitamin D immediately, immediately stop feeding the food. Not check, just stop feeding the food. This could be dangerous. So if I had to choose a kibble, and one of the reasons why I'm such a big fan of carn carnivore was synthetic free. But now there's more companies that are coming out that are synthetic free. Like Champion Pet Foods came out synthetic free. If I had to pick a food, I because I'm so scared because of what happened to Sam with the melamine. The first thing I'm going to do if I had to feed kibble, I love the green-free recommendation because you avoid the aflatoxin, the number one killer. And if you can avoid the synthetic vitamin D, because that's the number, if not the number one, the number two killer. I got it. would have to go back. Susan Thixton would be a great person to talk about this. How many issues, how many animals are lost to vitamin D? But you were telling me, like, first of all, how vitamin, how important vitamin D is because so many dogs are vitamin D deficient. What's your theory on why they're dying of vitamin D? Where has the access, excuse me, like machinery wise, what's your theory on that? So when you when when pet food companies order a premix, the vitamin D, when you order vitamin D, cholecalciferol for a for a premix, it comes in literally one drop is like a hundred thousand I use. One drop. So imagine trying or even like half of a gram, 0.1 gram, it's like literally, it's the tiniest amount that you have to distribute in a hundred kilo batch of pet food. If the, if as you dust this incredibly potent fat soluble vitamin in, as you dust that in. <laughs> she we decided to uh, eat her food this morning you can't and mix it drag in. the bowl across you, the kitchen. <laughs> you can't mix it inadequately. So what ends up happening by, by default is you're trying to, in this giant vat of food, you're trying to mix this microscopic amount of super potent synthetic in. If it does not get mixed adequately, 
Part of the batch has a lot of vitamin D and part of it doesn't. Some of you may also know that when vitamin D levels have been tested in many dogs fed ultra processed foods, they're low, they're low in vitamin D. So it's like half of the dogs get excessive vitamin D and half of the dogs don't get enough because mixing these super potent synthetic vitamins and minerals in, are they're not equally distributed in the batch. I got that great question by Leslie. So would you choose higher carbs over synthetic vitamins? Such a great question. I would. I would because Such it's a, a slower, it's a slower. Because you can run your dog for two and a half hours and negate the carbs. Yeah. Ryan Yamka really nailed it home with me and he said, dude, we're making baby formula. Uh, mm -hmm. Kibble's baby formula. It's math, right? It's like literally math. So when they say it's science, you know, it is, a, there's a science there, right? But you can't control the machinery. Like you said, you don't know what the machine's going to do. So like they have these massive belts that are moving through at a thousand miles an hour of, of food and all these conveyor belts. And they're squirting and spraying of these synthetic vitamins that are so essential for nutrition. Because remember, we complain every week about non-balanced foods, right? Like right. how many people are feeding foods with non-balanced? So if you haven't had anything happen to you, then it's not a big deal. It's exactly. not. It's not. How many people will say to you, I've been feeding Alpo and Pedigree and all these like low yeah. budget foods or my whole life and my wings. dog's fine. I, I all the time yeah. I have my, or, all my raw yeah, foods. Yeah, I'm yeah. just going to feed chicken wings and the dog looks great. Be quiet till I see a problem. And you're getting that now with the Absolutely. raw food balancing Absolutely. project that you're doing, Absolutely. right? Yeah. I fed a lot of these raw foods that you guys have on the list. I don't know why you're balancing them. Exactly. The dog's perfectly fine. No problem at all. And sure. just like people that feed Pedigree that don't have excess vitamin D yet, they say it's absolutely fine. They've never had a problem. Both camps saying never had a problem. Exactly. Okay. It's not a problem till it's a problem. Yep. That's all I can say. It's, it's not a problem till it's a problem. It became a problem for me. It became a problem for you. It became for a problem for a lot of people around the world. There's a reason. The biggest question is how the heck, how the heck did both of you achieve millions of followers in such a short period of time, right? Almost 6 million between us, right? Because we're talking about yeah. things that have happened to those 6 million yes. people that are following and growing, right? So yeah. it's these people have gone through these same situations that we've gone through. It's not that we're saying that all pet food is bad because it's not. We need manufacturers. We need somebody to be making the food for us, right? It's just we want to hold them to a higher standard. So the theory is talk about the issues. Don't don't turn a blind eye to right. it. Talk about the issues. Force the manufacturers to do to be better and to do something better. And, and and if they don't, if the manufacturers can't be forced to do anything better, then at least have these types of discussions over and over in a wider audience. The more we can talk about it, the more educated our neighbors and family members and kids and grandparents become to be able to make better decisions. If the manufacturers will not improve their raw materials, okay. We will enlighten everyone we can talk to to make better decisions. One says to himself, well, people keep talking about pedigree or corn or whatever. It's not a big deal. Everyone knows about it. No, they don't. Yeah. It's the number one seller globally around the world, which tells you that not enough people know about it. So it means more people should be talking about it. So. And the fact is the, the vast majority of prescription diets all contain corn. So sometimes we have the conversation where people say, listen, I'm not, I cannot come off of a prescription diet. Now what? One of the things that I want to talk about, um, and even I brought some snacks. Where did you get that corn from? So I found these cool toasted, unsalted, I don't know what they are. It's French. It's like, you know, they're like basically toasted corn. I found them in someone's pantry. I also found some organic corn chips in someone's pantry. Here's my suggestions for, even though it's organic, and this is one of the places where organic pet food or human food doesn't matter is the conversation with mycotoxins. So first of all, for those of you that don't know, aflatoxin 
is one of dozens of different types of mycotoxins, which are microscopic, tasteless, odorless byproducts of funguses that grow on grains either during harvest or after harvest in the silos or during storage. So depending on the amount of rainfall on crops, these fungal byproducts can get started and they continue replicating their toxic byproducts called mycotoxins during harvest, during the drying process and during storage. So it's not that someone didn't do something. It's not that some chemical could be applied that wasn't. It's not that any, no one did anything wrong. Even with organic foods and organic corn and organic grains, mycotoxins can still be a problem. If we're going to eat grains ourselves or if we're going to feed grains to our pets, the best recommendation I can make for you is to throw a handful of chlorella or you can do spirulina, any super green food, any food that contains chlorophyll. Chlorophyll blocks the adhesions of these fungal toxins to the lining of mammalian GI tracts. How cool is that? So my best recommendation is, is if you have to feed a prescription food that contains corn, throw a handful of chlorella into your pet's bowl to help prevent the absorption of mycotoxins present in the foods. So obviously, if you're going to consume grains, you're going to be consuming mycotoxins of some type. And as I mentioned, there's dozens of different types. But I made a list for you. You made a list because a lot of people are asking, like, you know, what do you do in what those do situations? Do? So what am I doing? What am I doing for like Shuby? Uh, what should you be doing for your dogs? What should you be doing for yourself and for your family members? Well, here's the good news. Uh, we do a ton of research. We know in the book, The Forever Dog, that's coming out. We've also got a, a bunch of stuff in there when it comes to aflatoxins. What do you want to talk about first? I want to talk about the fact that the chlorophyll, so you can get chlorophyll by eating green foods or feeding green foods. This is where if you have a cat on a grain-based diet, you are you will be left probably supplementing because your cats are not going to eat enough green chlorophyll-filled foods to be able to offer substantial detoxification. That's where adding in chlorella is a, a big bang for your buck. Now, as I mentioned, how it works is it mechanically blocks the aflatoxins from being absorbed in the GI tract. So it needs to be fed with food. So if you are someone that does some grains included with a homemade meal, those greens included with grains is a really good idea. If you're feeding ultra processed food or a prescription diet that contains rice, uh, corn, wheat, oatmeal, rye can have mycotoxins, any type of quinoa, quinoa, yeah. Add chlorophyll in with your pet's food directly in the bowl. But there are also foods you can treat with. So the magic of food, and when I pulled up this research for you guys, it's so inspiring for me to see the mechanics of how these different foods work. And what I mean by that is strawberries and blackberries are protective against the oxidative damage of mycotoxins, which means they help the body detoxify from the damage that mycotoxins do. So aflatoxin is a type of mycotoxin and mycotoxins as a category do a bunch of terrible things. Do they alter the genome with genotoxic substances? Yes, which means it changes your dogs and cats and our body's DNA. That predisposes our bodies to cancer. Liver cancer in all of us Absolutely. If we get a diagnosis of hepatic carcinoma, whether it's your neighbor or your dog or your cat, you the first thing that should pop into your mind is mycotoxins. 
adding in foods that will work in a variety of different ways is a really good idea. Some of my favorite vegetables that I like to use, I don't know if you have your favorites on this chart here. I'm a huge fan of spinach, parsley. My gosh. Parsley's a, parsley's parsley a is a magic. Parsley is a is. magic food. So chlorophyll-filled foods reduce the carcinogenicity of mycotoxins. That's the mode of action. Strawberries and blackberries reduce the oxidative stress, which means they help the body cope once the mycotoxins are in your pet system. Turmeric, ginger, and green tea, decaf green tea, all reverse DNA damage from mycotoxins. So they work by different mechanisms of action. But how cool that this diversified spectrum of foods works in unison to help counteract the side effects of some of these significant mycotoxins. Now, there's also some supplements, and there is a supplement that you can use, activated charcoal, for acute exposure to mycotoxicosis. If you have an acute toxicosis, I recommend that you start on charcoal immediately, which means, God forbid, you turn over your lot, and this would be my worst nightmare, where you are looking, you're like, oh my gosh, they just released the lot numbers, and I have been feeding my animal contaminated food. The first thing you go to is activated charcoal, and that is given four times a day for acute toxicosis, and this physically binds mycotoxins from the gut and prevents them from being absorbed into your animal's systemic circulation. So activated charcoal is your go-to resource for oh my gosh, I'm feeding a contaminated food right now. That's the first thing you should be doing. The chronic exposure supplements, both chlorophyll, curcumin, and glutathione, you can give on an ongoing basis. So if you have uh, an animal that's on prescription food that's eating cord, add these things in. All of humanity and all of the animal world are consuming mycotoxins. The question is the volume of mycotoxins and what it does in our body. It affects our DNA. It affects our, our liver's ability to process glutathione. They cause cancer in the body and they create liver and kidney and heart disease. Those are the big things that mycotoxins do in the body. All right, let's talk about apiaceous vegetables. Now, I, I didn't have a love for carrots until I was schooled by science and the amount of fiber in the carrot, which helps block, I think what I was reading was it's comparable to a lemon. Uh, it helps block that uh, starch or that glucose spike in the body. But more importantly, it's part of the apiaceous vegetable family. And when those researchers were saying, hey, if you've got aflatoxins floating around in your body or your pet's body, carrots can really, really help. You see the study here in food and chemical technology. So apiaceous vegetables inhibit cytochrome activity and that big long number mutagenic of aflatoxin. And that B1. big long number, the cytochrome P450 pathway, which is how you how the liver, all of our livers, including our pets' livers, that's how our bodies get rid of chemicals, is with the cytochrome P450 pathway. Apiaceous veggies help the liver do its job. Yeah, the apiaceous family, like I didn't even know that was a thing till I started to get into it. And then those scientists were like, hey, start consuming some carrots, start consuming some like uh, parsnips or celery or parsley, things that are belonging to the family, as you can see them here on the other Cilantro. side. Uh, but that being said, look, there's a lot of those vegetables that are in their family that will yeah. go in and start cleaning things up inside your pet. The magic, I guess, for me is in the fact that we have food sources that can detoxify the body from some of these most toxic insults, which is pretty amazing. And they work in different ways. So the apiaceous veggies, cilantro, carrots, parsley, celery, amazing. 
to throw a little bit in your dog in your dog's bowl. Kitties, if they'll eat them, sprouts, fantastic. And if your pets won't eat them, green and black tea. Green and black tea both have been demonstrated to reduce the mutagenic, the DNA damage that mycotoxins do. So what I do is when I make bone broth now, I throw decaf, green and black tea bags in the bone broth when it's still warm, create a polyphenol-rich, ECGC, tannin-loaded, theophylline-rich brew that tastes like bone broth with the benefits of tea, and now literally you're cooking with detoxification. If you are feeding kibble and you are not adding any vegetables to it, fresh, whole vegetables, in my opinion, you are making one of the biggest mistakes as a pet parent today. Ding. So you guys now have uh, some foods you can throw in, some supplements you can throw in to your pet's bowl, yes, but also to your own diet. If you are consuming grains, consider doing something to to mitigate mycotoxins in your life. All right, so on the topic of mold, we have a study that just came out this week on kitties. Oh, so kitties are also, of course, prone to dust mite hypersensitivity and storage mites. Storage mites, there again, if you are feeding cats grains, there's a very good chance that they can have storage mite allergies. Storage mites are a big issue in grain-based pet foods. It's not if they're there. It's like mycotoxins. It's not if they're there. The question is, and in what capacity and what volume are they there? And cats and dogs, both very sensitive to dust mites and Storage mites, which storage mites are basically grain mites found in silos that naturally occur, and we're feeding them to our animals, and those animals are having an immunologic reaction to mites. This particular study talks about the fact that we can use sublingual immunotherapy, liquid drops, to help desensitize cats to dust dust mites and grain storage mites. And this is something that has been... I don't want to say controversial, but oftentimes when pet parents finally realize that their dog or cat is itchy year round, that that they have, they're not finding any seasonal relief and they end up going to the vet and talking about doing quote unquote allergy testing. That's when it it can become a little bit difficult because there are two types of allergy testing. Environmental allergy testing, ragweed grass pollen mold is substantially more sensitive or AKA accurate than food allergy testing. But there is a whole category of environmental allergies that can be very difficult to identify and in turn treat. So in the last 15 years, regionally specific environmental allergy treatment has become popular. And in the veterinary dermatology world, it's quite controversial. You'll have a lot of veterinarians saying you shouldn't be using kind of cookie cutter desensitization programs based on where you live, or you'll have veterinarians like myself say, listen, I have a client who can't afford to do specific testing. It's really expensive, or they have a reactive dog or cat, and there is no way that they're going to let their animal be poked on a repeated basis. I'd rather try this safe, non-toxic desensitization protocol. I'd rather try it and see and offer the animal the potential for long-term relief rather than not try it. And this particular study demonstrates that it works for kitties too. And I was so happy to see this. So Randy, can you flash the lab? Um, Oh, there it is. On the right-hand side of this screen, guys, you'll see respite. Respite stands for Regional Environmental Sensitivity for Immunotherapy. And I love it. 
Respite is a sublingual drop that is made for cats and dogs based on where you live. And what this research shows is that it does show efficacy for cats dealing with dust mites and storage mites. So if you have an itchy animal and it's year round and you have tried everything and you've not tried regional desensitization, it's one more study in this case, kitties, the previous research has been done on dogs, but this particular study was done on cats. I think it's well worth you investigating this as an option, especially if you find that your animals are worse in the winter. So I did it. I did it. Uh, I did it years and years ago with Sammy, the desensitization to environmental allergies. I will say it worked magically. One of the things that's really fascinating about it is because they're like, as you mentioned, because there's never been a cat study, the reason why we thought it was important and we threw it in here was because this is the first study of its kind to say, hey, man, if nobody's going to do a study here to see if cats can actually also have benefit from this, here it is. Here's the study. So, yeah, there was a 73%, I think, uh, got, were able to complete the study according to research and they had, there was no adverse effects. Yeah. Uh, none of the cats uh, suffered in this and they did very, very well. The conclusion was that sublingual immunotherapy should be considered as a rapid, safe and effective and well-tolerated treatment in cats with feline atopic dermatitis. And I couldn't agree more. I have been using respite since its inception, since year one. And I had a lot of veterinarians get pretty angry at me for actually switching from ineffective, customized injectable therapy to oral regionally specific therapy. Now guys, this doesn't do anything for food allergies. Absolutely nothing. Right. Respite is used for environmental sensitivities, but I have found it to be not only an affordable economic way to treat environmental desensitization options, but I have seen it help animals long term. You have to commit, in my opinion, I tell my clients, you got to commit to two years. This is not an instantaneous improvement. If you have an animal that is struggling with probable environmental hypersensitivities, if you can commit to two years of this, in two years down the road, your animal's either going to be more reactive or less reactive. And why not take the steps now to make your animal less reactive in two years? So a lot of comments on like, can you get it in Canada? Yes, you yes, can. You and can then, get and it then like how do you spell it? So it's, it's right. Like if you look up in the top right-hand corner, you can you see? Um, uh, it says respite, R-E-S-P-I-T, the person holding the little iPad there with the yeah. dog and the cat. So you can uh, you can see it right there. So the company is there. Uh, shout out to the kitties. Like I say, I would also highly urge people as you're doing that to also potentially either get diagnosed and treat dysbiosis yeah. because that's also very important. And I would say that 100% of animals that have environmental allergens, how those allergens got into the central immune system enough to cause a reaction is through the gut. You don't have environmental hypersensitivities without leaky gut. They go hand in hand. So 100% of animals that have environmental hypersensitivities also have leaky gut and you should be treating them simultaneously. Great point. All right. Yeah. So from cats, we go to a new study that came out this week. That actually plays into gut health. Yes, which I found super, super, super interesting. Uh, titled, Scientists Identify Nutrient That Helps Prevent Bacterial Infection. Now, we've talked about the importance of taurine. Taurine is a really big word in the animal world. I know, it's especially during the whole DCM scare, right? Taurine is just, you always hear the word taurine in the animal world, dog and cats alike. Yeah. Not so much in the human world. Um, but we should be. But we, we should sh be. We should be. And we especially be. for those of you like us that maybe have minimized your meat consumption, if you are a human, 
we all need supplemental taurine and what the research and kitties for those of you that don't know kitties have to eat their taurine dogs can make a little bit of taurine but cats have to have it supplemented so i would say across the board i love this study because what the study showed is that taurine prompts a bacteria called delta proteobacteria it upregulates delta proteobacteria and this particular strain of beneficial bacteria does an amazing job at preventing GI infections. So what this, this study, which was done on people, what they found was that supplying taurine actually reduces the likelihood of recurrent GI infections in humans. I believe that taurine is an amino acid. First of all, it's one that is quickly removed with heat. So if you're feeding a raw meat-based diet, okay, but it has to be fresh. Remember last week when we talked about those cats that developed heart disease eating ground whole rabbit? That happened because the taurine levels weren't sufficient enough after several months. So if you're feeding a meat-based diet, the okay. meat has to be fresh. Don't jump the gun because I that's my next slide. Ooh. The summary of the, the study, scientists studying the body's natural defense against bacterial infections have identified a nutrient, taurine, that helps the gut recall prior infections and kills invading bacteria. This finding could aid efforts seeking alternatives to antibiotics. So like scientists are thinking of using taurine as a natural antibiotic. One thing I do want to say about taurine is this. Taurine is necessary for bile production. A critical component of bile has to be taurine. So if the diet by chance is taurine deficient, we could have repeated gut issues. This is part of the reason that animals that have had their gallbladders removed absolutely need supplemental taurine and bile in the form of ox bile. There's so many tables and charts out there. Literally, if you just Google foods with highest levels of taurine, You'll get so many studies with these PDFs but built inside of them. I love the fact that you're showing the seafood because this is one of the things that a lot yeah. of, of people will ask me. I don't want to I don't want to call them poorly formulated raw food diets, but I do want to call them maybe unchecked raw food diets. If you're feeding at a lot of high fat and not a lot of fatty meats or lack of lean meats. Unless you are including seafood, there is a chance that, chance that your meat-based diet actually is taurine deficient. Yeah. So seafood is a fantastic source of taurine if you're not I going gotta, to give a supplement. Seafood has always been king. I know when, you know, in the old raw feeding days, everybody would always think it was just hard. Seafood never got a mention. Seafood is double, triple, like, for instance, I look at beef heart on a wet matter basis, 652 milligrams in heart of uh, per one kg of taurine but in a clam 5200 yeah almost double clams and mussels amazing Fish. and that's the other thing you can get like freeze-dried mussels here i guess it's there on our chart too the the chart down there on the bottom you can see like like i know a lot of people are using liver some people thought there was like a lot of beef uh a lot of taurine and beef liver like comes in at 42 and, and that's what's tricky is people say there's plenty of taurine in organs well yeah yeah but it can be shocking. The other thing is dogs and cats need a lot of taurine. It's unbelievable yep. how much they actually need. All right. On to the next study. And it says fasting reduces the incidence of, now is it called vincristine? Yes, it is. Associated adverse events in dogs. So it, basically the benefits of fasting to when it comes to like chemotherapy just trying to pull up the study here on my laptop. Anyways, the conclusion on the bottom, fasting prior to vincristine therapy is a safe and effective treatment modality that helps mitigate uh, constitutional and GI 
AEs in tumor-bearing dogs. AE means adverse events. Another benefit to fasting. Now, I can't tell you how many times I have these conversations with people when it comes to the benefits of fasting and how many pet parents are like, hell no, I don't care. You can keep showing me more studies. It doesn't matter to me. I won't fast my dog. It's crazy. And I think part of it is, is that we project as guardians. We don't really like to fast or the thought of going without food. So we don't offer those benefits to our dogs. And there's another study that came out years ago that I grabbed onto immediately and really started encouraging my clients when I was practicing full time to consider fasting their dogs 24 hours before going for their chemotherapy because they required less chemotherapy to be given for more beneficial uh, results. And there were no GI side effects. None of the side effects that could happen with certain types of chemotherapy, not just vincristine, but a whole host of them can be minimized by fasting your dog or cat prior to chemotherapy. So for kitties, I fast them 12 hours prior to chemo. And for dogs, I fast 28 hours prior to chemotherapy, always access to fresh water. Tell me about this, this study that so, you said. Yeah, here. so this is the study that in 2000, yeah, 2017 that came out. And there was actually one before this particular study. This is the study that we use for dog cancer series demonstrating oh. that there was more tumor suppression effects on fasted dogs, which is pretty amazing. Now, here's what's cool. The ketogenic diet mimics the effects of fasting. So if you have had the terrible diagnosis of cancer, we would encourage you to start the ketogenic diet, which mimics fasting, and then also physically cut all calories off at least 12 hours prior to any chemotherapy to not only minimize the side effects in your dogs and cats, but to maximize those drugs effect on your animal's body. I think as more and more research comes out pertaining to fasting, this I think that this is just the beginning of studies demonstrating the incredible health benefits of stopping the body from having to digest. So for everyone that has a little bit of fear about fasting, either for their own bodies or their dogs or cats, let me just say this. If you have a sick or diseased animal, oftentimes animals will choose to fast on their own. When animals don't feel well, they oftentimes go off food. And what I would encourage everyone to remember is that's nature innately speaking to their bodies saying, don't consume food right now. And I think as guardians, we need to honor that. If our animals say, if our dogs and cats say, I don't want to eat right now, it's fine to skip a meal. Now with cats, you all know that we don't let kitties perpetually fast. But if you have an animal that says, I really don't want to eat right now, letting them skip a meal is not a bad thing. That's their body saying, I want to focus on healing rather than digesting. So check it out. I got this. I had this slide when we were talking to uh, Dr. Thomas Seafried. So part of the chemo uh, protocol right now in Turkey, look down there on the bottom, ketogenic diet, fasting and ketogenic diets have now become part of standard of care in Turkey, right? Very, yeah, very cool. How how fascinating is that? Dr. Thomas Seafree put it the best, right? You can't work your digestive system theoretically and your immune system at the same time. Which one do you want to work? If you keep putting food into the belly, you've, you're not giving the body a chance. You're not giving the immune system a chance to turn on and to heal. I remember reading an article in the New York Post where John Hopkins posted, you can fix so many diseases by just fasting for three days, yeah. not eating for 72 hours. And I know it sounds insane, it sounds insane, right? But you can fix so many issues in yourself and your pets with just narrowing that window down. And we've got some ideas and some tips to help people I know in the book that we're writing and that's done now and on its way out 
um, hopefully soon on some ideas of fasting. I just really hope that people, if they don't want to like fast completely, at least narrow the window down to where there's a longer non-eating period. So whether it's like 12 hours, whether it's 16 hours, can you go 18 hours without feeding your pet? Give them all the food that you want that they would traditionally eat. Just narrow the window down, right? And 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 allow their bodies to heal and fix the problems that they have. Yeah. So important in cancer. And so a couple of different people, uh, Jeannie and Christine saying we've got underweight dogs. In those situations, you give above average calories. So you want, you want to bring your dogs up to speed with their weight. You want to get them up to an ideal weight. So in those situations, I would initially cram a lot of calories. You're going to overfeed calories in a 12 hour window. And then once your dogs are at their ideal body weight, you can reduce that window to 10 hours and then even eight hours. So if you have an underweight dog, you're going to feed an abundance of calories in a 12 hour window and then cut down from there. If you have a normal weight dog, you can give all the calories in eight hours in a day. And then the rest of the day, the body's fasting and then focusing on immune balance, restoration, repair. And that's a great way to still get the benefits of intermittent fasting, even with a skinny dog. Yeah. Well, once again, we blew over. We blew over. And Abe, Abe is calling us out. And this was a good episode. This was a good episode today. I, you know, the uh, the aflatoxin talk was uh, was a, was a bit serious, but I, you know, again, I like going through these studies. I love the fact that uh, we've got such awesome, awesome community of pet parents. Yeah, we do. The engagement and everybody. We do. Uh, Thank you in for the all the section. stars for Rodney's graphic stars. You do put a lot of effort and time. Thank you for everyone that sent stars. Inside scoopers. Happy National is it Curry Chicken Day? Yeah. Happy Happy. National Curry Chicken Day. Happy Customer Service Day. Have an awesome week. Dr. Karen Becker, thank you so much. See you next week. See you next week.